What's good, people? How we doing? Welcome to this week's episode of Lost Origins, your two favorite history nerds back at it again this week with a little flavor of mystery, one of my favorite, you know, rabbit holes to jump Delicious down. Delicious flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and for those of you who are playing the new Lost Origins drinking game, make sure that you <laughs> responsibly. Uh, we're not here to condone uh, any kind of, you know, have operation of heavy machinery after you've played Lost Origins, a drinking game. Uh, but I feel like we, we're eventually we're going to package that. And Maybe a few gonna, shots. Yeah, 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 yeah. thing. As always, um, you know, please jump on your uh, favorite podcast application. Uh, click that subscribe button for us. Uh, try to share with some friends. Um, you know, check out the merch store. Do the thing. Um, you know, or you can do what some other people do and uh, jump on to patreon.com slash our lost origins. Uh, take a look. It's a couple different levels. It's not going to break the bank. It definitely makes a difference here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, like we talked about before, um, you will absolutely get a uh, special version of this show. Mm -hmm. You will not hear, even though I know you love hearing about inner traditions. I know you love hearing about the other sponsors. I know many of you love to listen. You may be even just tune in to listen to the F-150 dynamic advertising yeah. at the beginning or the end. But, you know, for those who don't and who just want, uh, you know, a special um, kind of relationship with the show and special episodes, special content, you know, jump over to Patreon and, and do the thing like... Uh, uh, many of the others who have done so um, in the last few weeks. And, you know, I know some people sit back and they're saying, you know, you guys are just going to take that money um, and put it into one of Andrew's crazy projects. And I'll tell you for sure, I know for a fact that Andrew is not going to take your Patreon money and put it into his secret satellite project where he is mm -hmm. launching miniature satellites all over the world in order to enhance his Wi-Fi. That is not nope. going to happen with nope. this money. Okay. Know that that's going to be put into the show. Mm -hmm. um, that project is totally separate. Yeah. It's a completely separate bank account. Right. Um, so please, uh, if you have the time, have the uh, monies and uh, efforts, do the thing. And for those who don't, you know, we always tell you one of the biggest things that you can do is just share the show with somebody you think will uh, really find the content Straight interesting. Up. I think that that kind of organic word of mouth exposure, sharing of the of the the show in general is huge. Uh, furthermore, just to make sure people aren't like, well okay, he's not going to do the satellite thing, but what about like the whole backyard thing where he's building the giant banana hammock slingshot to make sure that the hot dogs that are made from uh, plant-based protein are launched through the neighbor's windows at 1 a.m. Dude, you already funded that project. Yeah, that's, that's done. That's we completely shipped. funded through Deploy. another, yeah. Yeah, if you guys are interested in the results of that uh, study, hop onto lostorigins.com <laughs> forward slash media, hop into the uh, article section. You can find all the evidence there. It's pretty deep and solid citations as well. So speaking of citations and content on the website, site. Let's talk about what we're doing this week, right? Got Dude, Lucy Pringle coming on the show. Once man. you pop, you are not going to be able to stop here, guys. Should we edit that out? Or nope. just leave? No, nope, that's okay. That's, it. that's there. You um, said it. You know, I'm making jokes, but Lucy Pringle is a pretty serious person. Um, you know, she is absolutely uh, known for a lot of things, but most known for her most recent work uh, and the title of her most recent book, The Energies of Crop Circles. Mm -hmm. uh, she's an authority on the effects of electromagnetic fields on living systems specifically, uh, world's leading crop circle uh, photographer and researcher. I will say I did not know how amazing her collection of photographs were mm -hmm. until we got on the website. Mm -hmm. Like there's some incredible stuff on there. Seriously. And years and years of work have been poured into hers, like her trying to parse and understand what's actually happening here with this phenomena. Uh, so today we're going to talk about evidence of physical healing powers found within crop circles around the globe. I found this super fascinating. There's a moment in her story uh, where 
where basically she has this shoulder injury, she enters a crop circle, and then you know all of these things happen just to her physical well-being. And we're we're, we're definitely going to rip through that today. We're also going to talk about the data of the results of this exhaustive survey and questionnaire that she worked to complete. Uh, that just surveys so many people around the globe who have been exposed or experienced different phenomena within crop circles in general. And lastly, we're going to talk about the connections between crop circles, cosmic energies, and one of our most recent favorite topics, consciousness. Deep. So let's do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. Are you, do you want to go? Let's call her. Okay. Like right now though, right? No, like just wait a minute. Okay. One more minute. All right. Now let's call her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Lucy Pringle, thank you so much for joining us today on Lost Origins. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. I'm delighted to be with you. Oh, that's great. Like we're really excited for the conversation as well. CK and I um, have had several conversations on the side leading up to this. This is going to be a really fun conversation. We're, we're excited. So thank you, Lucy. And so Lucy, so as we've been looking over your work and I think a number of other people in, in the field have uh, gotten a lot from the different research that you do, both in a primary sense and a secondary sense. But for those who aren't as familiar with your work, um, can you give us just a kind of an overview of how how you got started in this field, um, what's you know most interesting to you, and really what brought you to this moment? Well, I suppose it all happened in, in 1990 when both my sons had left, um, had left home. And that can be a very difficult moment for somebody when you spent your life looking after uh, people, and suddenly you find that... Uh, there's nobody to look after and sure. suddenly you have a have a sort of big void in your life. And so you look around for something to do. It it it, it can be a very unpleasant feeling. And you can either sink or swim. And it just happened that I had moved to Hampshire at the time. And that was where the um some of the uh, crop circles were appearing, very simple ones at that particular time. And um so I immediately was interested. I've always been interested in the in the unknown, and this uh, fell right into the right category, so far as I was concerned, to stimulate my interest and give me a new interest in life. And then gradually, uh, I developed my own field of research. Um, I'm I love people, and I was finding the same things were happening two people inside the crop circle. So I decided to find out what was happening on a personal level. So that is how it really all started. All right. And I became a member, a foundation member of the first academic society, which was founded at Easter in 1990. And um, we were a mix, mixture of people, scientists. I came in as a dowser, uh, which is, you know, working with rods or pendulums. Sure, sure. Finding energy lines and, and that sort of thing. Uh, it can be used for a, a myriad of different uh, different uh, reasons. But uh, that's how I came in. And little by little, you evolve just as the subject evolves and you um, go on from there. 
That's great. No, thank you for the background there. Um, it, it's it's always interesting just to find out, you know, what leads a person down the path of of you know asking the right questions and just questioning everything essentially. And so that's 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 fascinating. Thank you. Before we jump into your your latest book, The Energies of Crop Circles, Lucy, I think it would be really great to kind of set the stage a bit. Um, your, your work specifically focuses on the research and analysis of crop circles, and there have been some some incredibly enigmatic designs and patterns throughout throughout the years, right? And so, and I think um, CK and I were talking about, I think the first crop circle uh, ha- has a presence in history dating back to like, what, 4,000 years ago? I mean, it's kind of all, all over the board. I, well, I, that it might actually be termed as a crop circle, but it certainly resembled a crop circle. Sure. And then what the first like documented uh, case was like mid 1600s, I believe too, correct? Well, John Aubrey tells us, and John Aubrey was a, was a fascinating man. He was um, an antiquarian historian and philosopher, and he and John Stukeley together, um, they were incredible people. They uh, recorded what Stonehenge and Avebury, West Kennet Longbarrow, um, all manner of sacred sites, what they looked like in at those times. And but for them, we would have no idea of what was happening at that time of of, of the um, history. Sure. And he, um, John Aubrey, was fascinated by the green grass circles that were appearing on the plains of Wiltshire. And he wrote, I presume they're generated from the breathing out of a fertile subterraneous vapor. And he further wrote, every tobacco taker knows that is no strange thing for a circle of smoke to be whiffed out of the bowl of the pipe, but is done by chance. Now, his first sentence, I presume they're generated from the breathing out of a fertile subterraneous vapor, is quite quite incredibly um, accurate because 400 years later, well, 300 years later, we're finding that that is all part of the forming process. So he was he was way, way ahead of his time in a quite almost miraculous uh, way. Hey, I mean, it definitely sounds like he was, you know, shedding light or asking the right questions, um, you know, when it also made sense too. it kind of like teed, you know, set the stage for, for, for more people to kind of carry the torch and, and, you know, continue his work and whatnot. I don't think anybody was carrying the torch at that particular time. Okay. I, I think just, I think he was just his brilliant, his brilliant, uh, uh, supposition and hypothesis. Sure. Um, because it was he alone who was who was talking about that, quite apart from one called the Mowing Devil, which was a woodcut, because in de- those days there was no photography, of course. Okay. Uh, and that uh, told the story of a farmer in Hertfordshire who had a field of oats. And when they were going to be reaped, he called in somebody to harvest them. But apparently... Uh, the story goes that this man was going to charge such a vast amount of money that the farmer went off stomping into the night, muttering he'd rather the devil took his oats. Mm. And the next morning, he was horrified to find part of his um, field laid down in round circles, and and that scared the daylights out of him. Sure, sure. The, the devil had visited his field. Um, so there were a lot of superstitions connected with the circles, some of them good, some of them bad. 
Some people associated them with bad times, such as in the war, okay. uh, when circles were appearing. And so there have been many, many different feelings behind the circles. Sure. So let me tell me, Lucy, based on your research and, and just like your, your understanding of this space in general, when did we start to see crop circles as they're known today? Like at what point in history is that commonplace? And then if you could also speak to um, how a lot of people are, you know, they dis discredit them as, as hoaxes. Like, is your research doing anything to understand the the breakdown between what are man-made what are hoaxes and what are you know more valid in general which question would you like me to ask answer first for sure let's do when we started to see crop circles kind of as we know them today uh, appearing out in the wild well they have they have gradually evolved um they started off by being fairly simple circles <clears throat> and over the years They've evolved into much more complex uh, formations. Um, it's almost as though many people have asked me, well, <clears throat> what are the crop circles all about? And my feeling is that they are there to teach us, that they are, we're in a school of learning, so to speak, and that um, you certainly wouldn't send a four-year-old to university. Uh, so you start off simply, you know, with little building blocks, and gradually as the child grows, <clears throat> it's able to understand more complicated matters. And it's, that seems to be exactly the case with the crop circles. Starting off with very simple ones, they have become more and more, more complex um, as time goes on. And just as they've become more complex, we seem to have learned more about them. Sure. And so specifically about the, you know, the idea of, you know, whether or not some of them are hoaxes or, or if, you know, all of them have a particular uh, factor about them that can distinguish them um, as something that's real versus something that's maybe man-made. Um, can you get into that a little bit and, and just discuss kind of how you've interpreted that over time? The... Um most certainly, not all crop circles are genuine. This this is something that I'm very happy and prepared to admit. Some of them are definitely hoaxed. But there are many, many different ways. And again, it's due to experience how you can detect those which are suspicious and those which aren't. But the crop circle scene has changed a lot over the years, since when I first came in in 1990, uh, you always used to ask the farmer's permission if he would go in. Uh, he'd usually be very happy and often come with you. And we would examine it together. And we were always very, very careful to walk down the correct tram line. Now, tram lines are those lines in the field which the farmers use for sowing and for spraying and all uh, harvesting in, in the end for their machinery. Mm -hmm. And so we'd walk down the correct tram line, which would take us straight into the circle. So that in fact, we wouldn't be damaging his crop in any way at all. And then we would examine... Uh, the crop. And if it was green crop, immature crop, um, there's, a, there's always a gray glaze running up the stem of the crop and in the leaves and, and even the seed heads. Now, if you get a piece of crop between your finger and thumb and just run it down the stalk, that glaze comes off very, very easily or film, glaze or film. 
And most certainly, what we look out for it is to see if any weight is being applied. Um, quite often, I've gone in and I've seen uh, marks of the tread marks. You know, people have these very strong tread marks of the, on the soles of their, their trainers. Um, but in order to make a, a, a really accurate um, um, this decision, you've got to be one of the very first, if not the first person in, because when other people have been in, uh, they're going to leave evidence of their entry. So this is vitally important that you must be, as I say, one of the first in in order to do a definite appraisal. Now, when you get ripe crop, you look for something quite different. You also look to see if this crop is crushed in any way. In ripe crop, you also look to see if it's crushed, the crop is crushed in any way. You also look underneath the fallen crop. And if you see seeds lying there uh, when you're the first person in, um, that will mean, again, that weight has been applied. Hmm. And this is what we look for. Um, so this is the, there are various, and now, as I was saying, as, as this crop circle scene has changed, farmers are very, very reluctant to let people in because over the years it's turned into a very commercial um, affair, really. Mm -hmm. And you get, you get people from all over the world coming. You get charabars full of people and the uh, people who are in charge don't always seem to be in charge. And the people stream out of these great big charabars and they rush into the fields and they don't care if they're going down the right tram line or not. Sure. And I, I've, I've met people who say, well, we don't care. We don't care if it's a farmer's land. And I think we all have to realize uh, that it's not only the farmer's land, but his livelihood. And I'm very, very much in favor of the, of the, the farmer. Uh, but the whole essence, well, the magic is still there, but the behavior of the people has destroyed it. Sure, sure. That's unfortunate. It's, well, not, not destroyed the phenomenon, uh, but it destroyed anybody who wants to do any serious research into actually looking at the crop itself. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you for, for walking us through that, Lucy. That's amazing. Um, we do got to take just a quick break. Uh, but when we come back, let's uh, continue our discussion on all things crop circles. Stay tuned. This week's episode of Lost Origins is brought to you by our very good friends and homies over at Inner Traditions and Baron Company. Inner Traditions is hands down the number one player within the space that is all things ancient mysteries, lost civilizations, alternative historical theory, esoteric knowledge, spirituality, just all the things. And their website is just a treasure trove of amazing books by some of the leading researchers and authors within the field. We challenge you to jump over to that website. It's innertraditions.com. Go get your mystery on.
Welcome back to this week's episode of Lost Origins. This week, we are connecting with our new friend and crop circle expert, Lucy Pringle. Do you know that I think brings us to a good place here to just to think about specifically your new book, um, The Energies of Crop Circles. Uh, that was released in May of this year uh, with our friends over at Inner Traditions. And in the book, you present some really interesting new and older evidence from the decades of research um, that preceded you and also your own research. Um, so before we dive into anything really specific, can you um, kind of bring us into an overview of this book specifically and, and what compelled you to write this? What can expect when they pick this up? <laughs> well, I don't know. I hope they'll have a really good time. And 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 I, I, I hope they'll enjoy it. I hope they will be encouraged by uh, what I've written and what uh, James Lance has written. James uh, is a scientist and he's made an extremely valuable contribution because at the end of every chapter, he has backed up my research with his scientific evidence. Now, this is something that hasn't been done in any crop circle book before. And this is essential in bringing the whole subject up to a new level, because unfortunately, the press go out of their way to rubbish this subject. And this has been a sort of mission with me. Uh, sometimes I... <laughs> I, I I just sort of grit my teeth and, and don't say anything. There was a, on the BBC just a month ago, there was a program uh, harking back to Doug and Dave, who said they made crop circles. They did make one or two very simple ones in the late 80s and early 90s. But that was 30 years ago. And so they ended up by saying all, every, all the circles are hoaxed. Well, as I say, that was 30 years ago. And Doug and Dave were liars and cheats. We all know that. And they did. They might have done a few. Um, but it was ridiculous. And this is what we have to put up with the press. And even magazines like um, the, the, the News of Geographic, um, National Geographic, they go out of their way to try and... and um, display this this subject in a in a false manner uh, i can tell you a, a really riveting story about that yeah please do well i was asked to do a program with the national geographic one time and i was and i said well who else is going to be um taking place taking part and they said oh just you lucy because you've done your research for so long and we'd really want to know about it so i met the the producer in the in the field and I was very surprised at the very superficial and rather trite questions that I was asked and then a couple of days later another circle appeared very close to where we'd been talking in a different field and so I got through to the producer and said I do you know anything about that circle oh yes she said we asked the farmer if we could make it or somebody could make one. And I said, but hey, that wasn't part of the agreement. Oh, Lucy, you'll be very happy when you see the program. Well, I did. I was given half a minute and any scientific evidence I had mentioned it was edited out. And the hoaxes were given two and a half minutes. And so I wrote a scathing article and put it on my website. I hope it's still there. But the next episode was again being approached by the National Geographic. And I wasn't the only one. Quite a few other researchers were. And we all got together and said, no, we wouldn't have anything to do with them at all. And 
um, a friend of mine who was a Dutchman, he was walking past Silbury Hill one night, which is a very ancient um, uh, mound, a sacred mound in Wiltshire. Um, and most crop circles appear at night. And as he was passing Silbury Hill at midnight, he looked across the road at West Kennet Longbarrow, another sacred site, and he saw a whole lot of lights. So he walked up the hill and found a film crew and went up to the producer and said, oh, do tell me what you're doing. She said, oh, well, we're from the National Geographic and we are filming men making a circle, a crop circle. So he went over to have a look, absolutely fascinated. And when he got there, he simply couldn't believe his eyes because there they were walking round with their planks and ropes. But they were walking around a circle that had appeared, was already there. It had appeared two weeks before. Now, the way that film was shot to all intents and purposes, the world believed those men had made that circle. Interesting. That's really interesting. I, I think it's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. I mean, how low can you can you bend? Sure. Uh, and it's it, I mean that's fraud. Um, so anyhow, we tried to trace them, and we got as far as as I'm afraid to say, America. And then the head office there would not have anything to do with this. The president just absolutely clamped down. And you have to say to yourself, well, why are they doing this? What on earth has made them be so dishonest? And so you have to say, well, what are they afraid of? Or what pressure has been put on them by a higher power to stop them, to, to gag them? or not exactly gag them, make them dishonest. Sure. And it's very unfortunate because when I was at boarding school, we were allowed to have the National Geographic because it was considered to be a reliable scientific magazine. You know, we, we've had several conversations with several people that, that work in different fields on this show, and a lot of them are exploring areas of history, the origins of humanity, consciousness, the nature of reality, etc. But they're doing so by asking hard questions that a lot of, um, you know, your, your average uh, academic, if you will, or, you know, somebody that's subscribing to, to the chronology that, that we all know to be true, quote unquote, um, they're, they're not afraid to ask those questions. And they're met with a lot of apprehension and pushback. And there's a lot of like almost what seems suppression of information at times. It's it's very frustrating uh, for, for a lot of people out there. And it's, it's definitely unfortunate that you experienced that firsthand, Lucy. When you see is, there's absolutely nothing to be frightened of. It's, it's, a, it's on the whole, when you read my book, you'll find that it is on the whole a benign, uh, benign phenomenon. Okay, people, because my, my investigation is to, to see how people physically and mentally and emotionally uh, react when they're inside a circle. Hmm. Uh, you can feel very bad. And I always say to people, get out right away if you don't feel well. On the other hand, you can feel extremely well. Yeah, and I think this sets like a great transition, Lucy, for my, my question. You teed me up perfectly, so I couldn't thank you more. You, in your book, you reference a significant moment that, that happened to you in 1990 while you were in a crop circle, I believe, and you're, you're studying uh, you know, just like the, the energetics of a crop circle. To my understanding, you, you experienced a, a miraculous healing of uh, a, a severe shoulder injury. Is that correct? Is, is that, am I tracking you correctly? 
I hadn't really got around to studying the energetics. I was just absolutely filled with amazement and wonder at these circles. And I was booked to have my first flight over the circles with my sister and a friend of hers. And the day before the flight, I was playing a tennis, a doubles match. And I was standing at the net when one of the men walloped a ball at me at the net, and I managed to get it back. But I jarred my my right shoulder to such an extent that I couldn't even lift my arm up to clean my teeth that night. Oh wow! So I thought, oh goodness, how am I how am I ever going to get down to the uh, airfield tomorrow? Anyhow, the next day it really didn't feel any better. But I have a gear change car. So I could just rest my right hand on the steering wheel and I could change the gear with my left hand. So we got down to the airfield and we took off. And I can't tell you the thrill. Flying over the circles, I, I, I used to fly over one and it was the year 1990 when there was that amazing, amazing uh, first really stunning circle which had a huge lot of a to it. It wasn't just a, a plain circle or a plain um, a line in between circles. It had these amazing buttons that, which puzzle scholars of the arcane. And it was unbelievable, I can't tell you. You have to really do it for yourself. before, And just for people, have they have to go into a circle for themselves to experience the wonder and excitement of this. And there were several others close by, and, I, and I've completely forgot about my pain. It's amazing how wonder and everything can completely make you lose any pain. And it wasn't until we were driving home that I suddenly realized, oh, I was in quite bad trouble. And we stopped at a field, and there was a circle. Now, I happened to know the farmer. He was a friend of mine, so I knew we could go in. And I went in with my with my pendulum and I asked to, for the place of the highest energy. So I walked down the tram lines and I walked around quite a bit and then suddenly my pendulum went mad. It started to spin around. So we sat down and in the circle and when I was sitting down, it was just wonderful sitting there, hot summer's day and resting and it was lovely. And then I suddenly realized that a whole lot of energy seemed to be rippling through my shoulders. I thought, what on earth is happening? Is it really happening? Yes, it was. So I thought, well, I wonder what it's doing, if it's doing anything. So I very gingerly lifted my, tried to lift my right arm. And I could lift it right above my head. I thought, well, this is this is extraordinary. And so I called to Maggie, my sister's friend, who'd got a very nasty progressive um, condition called systemic sloderma, where you get an awful lot of reflux and you can't, you can't lie flat. And she hadn't lain flat for years. So Maggie came and sat down and I said, Maggie, this is a good spot. I didn't say what had happened to me, just in case nothing happened to her. And uh, so she said, oh, oh, I feel wonderful, she said. I, I'd like to stay here forever. So I said, well, listen, I've got to go. I've got to go and do some dowsing, and I want to do some measuring, and I'll be back. But you stay there. And when I came back, I looked down. She wasn't sitting up. She was lying flat on her back. 
I said, hey, Maggie, Maggie, you can't lie on your back. She said, well, I am. So it was then that I realized something was happening over which we had actually no control and we had no expectations whatsoever. And it was at that point that I realized something was happening to people in the crop circle that had not been investigated and needed investigation. So Maggie, who was good on the computer at that time, she got out a rudimentary questionnaire. And since then, we have uh, improved it and amended it. Um, and I've got over 800 reports on my database. In fact, I got the largest database in the whole world on what has happened to people not just inside a crop circle, but in the vicinity, and also watching them either in a book, looking on the, in a book, or watching them on a screen when I'm giving lectures. And oh, I've wow. had the most, most extraordinary results. You see, the whole thing is we're dealing with frequencies. And as Pythagoras taught us, number and music are related. Mm -hmm. So you're, it's giving, I mean, we're, we're electric. We, we're um, electric people. We live in an electric universe. And we are giving off frequencies all the time, just as the formations are giving off frequencies, because the geometry in them is linked to music. Number and music are related. And in fact, two of my friends who sadly now dead actually managed to transform the, the geometry of the circles into music. Wow. And you get this, this this beat, 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 beat. So it's the beat, beat of the earth, uh, Gaia, Gaia talking to us. And James Lovelock, the scientist, it, it was he who said the earth was a living, breathing mechanism. And he called it the Gaia concept, the Gaia theory. And so, so this is this is largely, I think, what is happening. And things happen unexpectedly to people. Just unfortunately, sometimes they don't feel well, quite unexpectedly, because this is the interesting thing. They go in expecting to feel well, and sometimes they don't. And this is why I wrote a chapter about a placebo effect. Hmm. It doesn't exist, because people are going in expecting to feel well, and they don't. So, Lucy, can, can we go back just to, for a moment to that 800-person questionnaire study and just better understand sort of what was the main basis of the questioning? Was it uh, questions about people's health? Was it about their experience specifically? You know, what what theory was it working to validate? And, and what did you come up with after going through all of those responses? Well, what is written in my book is what I've come up with. Sure. Um, but um, it's, 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 it's a complicated one. If you want me to go through it, I'm happy to do yes, so. Yes, please. First yeah. of all, I have their name um, and the crop circle into which they went and the date of the crop circle when it was formed and the date when they went in. Because there's a strange thing. If more and more people go into the circle, we seem to act like blotting paper and soak up the, the energies. Um, then we need time of entry and weather conditions. That's important. Um, before the visit, we also asked them what they thought of, uh, was the origin of the circles, i.e. hoaxes, weather, for instance, whirlwinds, paranormal agencies, a UFO, earth energies, 
or other. And then how long were they in the circle? Uh, do they take any prescribed medicines? If so, please state. Do they have any long-standing uh, or recent health problems when, when they entered the circle? If so, please describe them. Uh, do they have any metal or amalgam or gold fillings? Uh, would you consider yourself psychic in any way? Did the experiment A, physically or B, mentally, mental emotionally change as a result of your circle visit? <coughs> did your experiences, yes. How long did the effect last? Did the effect vary with your position in the circle? Please give us a rating of the sense of well-being on a scale to 1 to 10 before you entered the circle, after you entered the circle. Have you ever experienced anything similar to this? For instance, in a stone-stone circle or on energy lines? If so, please give details. Did you observe anything unusual, e.g. test, uh, sound or smell? Effects such as photographic or recording equipment, mobiles, uh, animal behavior, lights, if so, please give details. And then I'll say, may I quote your experience? Either yes or no. Would you prefer to remain anonymous? Yes or no. Would you be prepared to be interviewed about your experience? Yes or no. Would you be prepared to participate in a free trial aimed at... Um, what is that? Aimed at, wait a second, aimed at continuing the, the benefits experience. <coughs> if so, please state. And so it's a very detailed, very detailed questionnaire. Yeah, Absolutely. it sounds super comprehensive. And my, my question, Lucy, is when you got all this data back from all of these participants, was it what you had expected or were there any data points that kind of threw you through a loop or you know, maybe maybe hit us with uh, your, your initial reaction to the data that you received from this questionnaire? Well, some of them, some of them were so vivid that they, and some of them were so touching, they almost made me cry. How they changed people's perception of life. Um, there was one really beautiful one that, um, here it is. It wasn't until, because sometimes when I'm giving a talk afterwards, I might do a sight and sound presentation where I play a whole lot of circles to the most beautiful music. It wasn't until your presentation that I realized my past, my present, and my future. In other words, my purpose came into being. The first three crop circles that you showed in your sight and sound presentation hit me so powerfully I wasn't able to breathe. I had an intense release of emotion, feelings of love, release, knowing, meaning. Now, how many of us can say that we know our purpose in life? Right, right, sure. I mean, that's a huge statement to make. So many of us are searching for our purpose in life. So many of us never find our purpose in life. Mm -hmm. That's that's pretty heavy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is fascinating as hell. Thank you so much for just walking us through that. We, we do have to take just a quick break, but when we come back, let's jump right back in and just continue this journey down the rabbit hole. So more from Lucy Pringle after the break. 
Welcome back to this week's episode of Lost Origins. This week, we are connecting with author and researcher all the way from the UK, Lucy Pringle. Before the break, we were talking about all things crop circles, all the enigmatic uh, just structures and, and, and patterns and designs that we're finding, but then more so like their connection to uh, just the nature of reality in general. And so Lucy was unpacking some of her, her finer points of her research for us, and we want to just jump right back in. So Lucy, let me ask you this. Throughout the last season of the show, we've spent several episodes exploring, you know, consciousness, the nature of reality, et cetera. And your book explores the connections between crop circle formations, cosmic energies, and then also consciousness. So I thought it would be really, really interesting for our listeners if you could explain some of the cosmic energies, but also their connections to consciousness that, that your work is uncovering. Well, many, many people uh, like to get together maybe form a little group and try and meditate on um, a, um, a, a figure, uh, a drawing or a geometric shape that they feel might appear uh, in the fields. And it's extraordinary how many times this has actually come to, to being. Um, and there was one particular time when um, Glenn Broughton and his lovely wife Cameron, they were they were giving a talk and at the end of it somebody said why don't we try and forecast a circle and um, so uh, certain people left because they weren't interested in pursuing this angle and there were 25 people left um, and um, there were 16 females and nine males. So they sat in a circle and they, they concentrated and they meditated. And a few days later, a most lovely uh, formation appeared at a place called uh, Osborne St. Andrew in Wiltshire. And it had 12 outer circles 12 out, well, little, little spokes. It was, it was interesting. It was a center circle and it had spokes going out. And if you counted the 12 outer spoke, spokes, there were 12. The 12 inner spokes were 12. So 12 and 12 make 24. And then the big flattened inner circle made 25. And there were 25 people in the group. And then another one. This was this was absolutely most extraordinary. <laughs> it was really quite funny too. Um, uh, two people. I, I take tours every single year, and uh, sometimes I take private tours as well. And we visit crop circles, and hopefully they're around for us to visit, mm -hmm. and we're allowed in. And um, then after one of them, I take uh, for the first one, I take an optional extra of visiting Stonehenge in the evening, a private entry visit. Can't tell you how magical that is. We go right up to the stones. We're allowed right in. Um, and then the, for the second one, we do uh, some flying over the fields after this been in walking in the circles. And there were two people waiting for me who, in fact, had booked to fly. And we were sitting there and just chatting. And the sun, they were called uh, Drury, um, and the son um, said that he'd had a most extraordinary experience. He'd uh, 
he'd he'd tried to imagine um, a crop circle which was full of stars and with all within a, a, a circle. And the next day, within a few hours, the one at Martinsell Hill appeared, which he said was an exact replica of the one he had uh, imagined, he and his girlfriend. Well, his mother, he and his mother were sitting in a circle um, earlier that year. And he said, Jake said to his mother, you know, if you ask the circle makers to make you a circle, they will. And his mother said, oh, I don't believe that. So he said, we told her what had happened to him. So she said, I'll give give it a try. And she said, if it really happens, then I will believe in them. So she happened to be moving house at the time. And so she asked for something really bizarre and off the wall because normally they're of stars or um, flowers or um, symbols. And she asked for a door or a window. Well, I mean, how crazy can you get? Sure. And, and I was sitting in a crop circle with one of my tours. Uh, it was a couple of years ago, and I got a, a call on on my mobile saying, a circle has appeared that looks like a door. Oh, I thought, nonsense. Hmm. Uh, anyhow, we couldn't get to it because it I didn't know exactly where it was, and I hadn't got the farmer's permission. But yes, it was a door, and it was an open door. It was a jar. And I thought to start with, now that's a very trite um again superficial symbol it doesn't mean anything and then i thought hold on hold on no this actually could be one of the most important because an open door is opening up to opportunities is opening up to all sorts of new exciting things is taking you into other levels of consciousness other dimensions and and this is profound so we what i feel is that we are in some way, um, is, there, is there some intelligence, crop circle intelligence that is linked or crop circle, um, yes, crop circle intelligence, which is linked to our human mind. And then we have to realize that there's a, there's a universal consciousness and we're all part of that universal consciousness. And it's multidimensional and it's multi-interactional and it's part of a cosmic consciousness. And we're all part of it. And the crop circles seem to be telling us about this. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think in general, there's definitely something else happening. Um, and I think one of the most interesting connections that you draw, you know, you, you try to look both uh, at current science and also, you know, beyond the science to try to make some different fascinating connections to, you know, what people experience in and around these crop circles. And one of the connections you make um, is the formation of the uh, Aurora Borealis um, with crop circles. Can you explain some of those connections to our listeners? Well, no, I'm not so good on that because that's much more James's angle. Oh. Oh, sure. Okay. Um, yes. But what I really am absolutely fascinating in is my research. And as I say, just as the circles have evolved, so have we all have evolved. And my research has evolved. And I'm now researching uh, with, I've got a medical team, and we're researching the temporary relief of Parkinson's. 
Now, Parkinson's uh, disease is, is, a, is a condition that afflicts many, many people, and it is a terrible affliction. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my cousins, my favorite cousin, in fact, died of Parkinson some years ago. Mm, so sorry. This, this is an aspect which is very, very close to my heart. And it all started after I'd been doing quite a lot of research, but I felt I wasn't getting anywhere. I was getting repetitive results every year, uh, burying bottles of water. And yes, we could see the changes between bottles buried inside and control samples, some of them very extraordinary. We could see the seeds from inside the uh, uh, crop circle as opposed to seeds outside, maybe were 40% higher in protein levels. But apart from that, my other research to do with humans was not getting anywhere. And then a great friend of mine called Mary Davis, who uh, had Parkinson's and still has Parkinson's, she begged me to let her go into a crop circle and just to see what happened. And I said, well, no, Mary, I don't really want to take you at all because, you know, you might not feel well and you're not well anyhow, and you can feel very ill. Anyhow, she bamboozled me. So I said, listen, here's what I'll do. I'll see next year, I'll see if there is a circle which is more or less 100% beneficial. And one appeared down at Avery Truslow in 1997. You can see it on my website if you like. It was called the Taurus Knot, and it appeared in July. And um, so the only way I could determine how beneficial it was was to actually go down and experience it myself. So I drove down every single day from Hampshire to Wiltshire. I went inside the circle. I felt brilliant. And then I stood by the edge of the circle, by the edge of the field, and I questioned people as they came out. And not a single solitary person felt ill. So I said to Mary, I think maybe this is a circle for you, if you're determined to do it. Well, she was, and she went in with a friend, and they sat in the centre for... I don't know, maybe 20 to 25 minutes. The thing is, when you're inside a circle, you lose all sense of time. This has happened to me so often. You just lose time. It disappears. Anyhow, she says she thinks she was in there about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And she stopped shaking, not just for a few seconds or a few minutes or a few hours. She actually stopped shaking for 24 hours. Hmm. Now, for those of us, those of people, I luckily touch wood, I don't have Parkinson's, but for those people who do have Parkinson's and are shaking many, so many times per second, they will understand what I'm talking about. Not to shake for 24 hours is totally unheard of. Right. Well, it came back. And afterwards, but after that, she still maintained what she called this extraordinary sense of well-being. And this I've heard of time and time and time again with people, this wonderful sense of well-being that maybe lasts six weeks. It's so different to anything else they've felt that they notice it. And so little by little, we've been evolving and testing. And I now work with the medical team uh, with somebody called Paul Gary, who is a neurologist. Uh, from the Devon and Exeter Hospital, 
and we do all sorts of tests with the most remarkable results. And if anybody is interested, not only will you read about it in my book, but you'll also see how we've progressed over the years in the articles that I write each year. So this is my passion, um, because I do believe that if the crop circles can contribute in any way to medical science with finding a possible cure for Parkinson's, it will be testimony of their very existence. Wow. Yeah, that's that's fascinating for sure. Um, it's it's amazing the the amount of stuff that we think we know but we don't know. You know, and it's it's just it's very fast. Thank, <laughs> thank you for sharing that story with us. That's that's incredible. The more so, we know, in fact, the less we realize, the less we know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well said. The more we know, in fact, we realize the less we know. Absolutely. Um, and so before you know, before we get into kind of the you know million dollar question um, about you know who, the motivation behind creating them, uh, we we spoke a little bit earlier in the discussion about you know that there are some that absolutely um, you believe to be hoaxes and and clearly have you know different distinguishing characteristics associated with their construction that you would associate with. Um, uh, something that was human made or something that had some other origin. Um, what over the course of your research, you know, you've just went into some discussions about the incredible healing powers and different energies um, over the course of all of your research. What has been the most compelling evidence that you've seen that uh, many of these crop circles, the ones that have these specific energies are maybe not of a simple human terrestrial origin? Oh, oh, I should think I could mention about six. Okay. But I'll mention, I'll mention two. Uh, one appeared uh, just below the um, uh, one of the Iron Age Hill forts at Barbary Castle in 2008. And it was Pi and an American called Mike Reed, who unfortunately is now dead. He had impeccable credentials and he was working on the MNT telescope. Uh, the University of Arizona in Tucson on the multi-mirror mirror telescope, MMT, at Mount Hopkins. And it was a joint venture with the Harvard-Smithsonian Observatory. And he was the first one to point out that it was pi. It was pi to the power of nine, um, which, was, which was, I mean, unmistakable, absolutely unmistakable. Um, so that was one that was completely and utterly uh, captivating and just, you know, was, was something that could not have been made by man, uh -huh. not with that degree of, of perfection and accuracy. And then there was another one, and I'll tell you two more. Another one, um, the one that happened on the Wandstike, the highest point in Wiltshire, and it happened on a rainy night. Now, if you imagine, if you're walking in the field and you're walking on soil and it's wet, you're going to get soil building up on the soles soil, soil of your feet. If you're going to walk into the crop, you're going to leave traces of mud. Well, this particular formation, when the first person went in the first morning, the next morning, there wasn't a trace of mud on the crop. Also, it was deeply rutted. And that is, if you want to look it up, 
was in 2001, and it consisted of 409 circles. And the interesting part was as the hoaxers, they, they wrote to me, and I included it in one of my books, um, saying, here's something to ponder. If this formation was man-made, allowing for the time to get into and out of the field under cover of darkness, the construction time left would be around four hours. Given that there are over 400 circles, 409 in fact, some of which span approximately 70 foot in diameter, that would mean that one of those circles would need to be created every 30 seconds. And that's not even allowing for any time for the surveying, purely flattening. This formation pushes the envelope, and that's a massive understatement. My brain hurts. (laughs) (laughs) That's fascinating. The last one I'm going to tell you about was at Martin Cell Hill, uh, which happened um, last year. And Michael Glickman, who has been drawing circles, drawing the geometry of circles after they've appeared in the field for 30 years. And he said, I've been drawing circles for nearly 30 years. And I was astonished by the skill and precision embodied in the Martinsell Hill formation. It is, in my view, one of the top 10 or maybe five we have received. It contains 28 pentagrams and 140 precisely formed isosceles triangles, each with a prime angle of 36 degrees, which automatically generates a golden section. Any suggestion that this meticulous and magnetic, majestic um, crop formation might be man-made is bizarre to the point of lunacy. (laughs) Wow, that's intense aptly put yeah thank you for that that's 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 heavy stuff right there for sure so we have only a few minutes left with you today lucy we appreciate your time so much we have the uh, the million dollar question if you will right so uh, i know our listeners are just dying to know what your research points to uh, as the answer to this um but when we look at who created these crop circles and we look at what the motivation behind creating them was what are you pointing to as your north star here lucy I have absolutely no idea. Um, I have no idea at all. I am strongly of the belief that we are not the only intelligences out there and in the in the in the in the cosmos. I think we're probably some of what, uh, um, uh, um, an intelligence, maybe of a lesser intelligence than some of them. Um, I don't know, and I don't know in what form they take. I don't know if they're maybe just even just frequencies or microbes. I I have no idea. And so far as I'm concerned, do you know, I used to, this used to bother me. I can't tell you how much. When I was a child, I lived in the nursery with with my uh, nurse and, and governess. And I read at very early age, but I remember nurse showing me a lovely book and inside were were pictures of um, wonderfully coloured birds. Uh, So I said to nurse, oh, they're beautiful. Um, Are they real? And she said, yes, they are. They're birds of paradise. So I said, well, where's paradise? Well, nurse didn't know. So I asked my governess and she didn't know. Now, that was a blow because when you're a child, grown-ups know everything. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> well, we think they know everything. We were allowed down to see our parents for well, rather a Victorian upbringing to see our parents for an hour every every evening. It was rather frightening. 
Anyhow, eventually I summoned up the courage to ask the parents, where is paradise? They didn't know. Well, imagine to a child, this was devastating. So I resolved when I grew up, I jolly well find paradise and I take everybody there. And of course, do you find it momentarily? It's like mercury and then it slips through your fingers. And then my next, my next one was um, was um, uh, the Loch Ness monster, uh, which has still actually come out in the news recently, and that that paled quite quickly. Then I got on to Einstein's theory of relativity, which I didn't really ever quite grasp, but it annoyed me. And then I got on to infinity. How couldn't in, how could infinity not be finite at some very distant point? That bothered me hugely. And then what should come along but the blinking crop circles? Well, I can tell you that that was almost the worst of all. What was the origin of these wondrous, magical things appearing in the fields? And little by little, I became more engrossed in my research. And I realized that maybe it didn't matter. You know, we can't know everything. And the very fact that you can't know everything, in fact, is really a very good thing, because if we knew everything, think how boring life would be. Sure. So I came to the conclusion that this was an ineffable, an ineffable phenomenon. And with that, infinity didn't bother me anymore. Nothing really bothered me anymore that I didn't understand, because we cannot understand everything. And all I can say is I'm absolutely delighted and thrilled that we don't. Absolutely. And so what, uh, what are you working on now? What, uh, you know, now that you've, you've got this book out, you're doing some other research. Um, and I know you're asking a lot of other questions that may or may not have answers, but, uh, what are you working on currently? How could people find you online? Um, how could people, you know, continue this conversation? I'm just bringing up my new calendar for, nine, for 2020. 2020 is going to be an exciting year. My, my website address is Lucy Pringle, all lowercase and no dot in the middle, lucypringle.co.uk. Uh, so please visit my website. If you want to buy a book, I'm very happy to sign it for you. And I've got a whole lot of other things because my, my research is actually very expensive. So I and my, my flying, of course, is expensive too. Sure. And I'm entirely self-funded. So I'm always struggling to make ends meet. So my my um, my books and my calendars and things help help me really continue with my research. That's amazing. Well, we really appreciate your time today, Lucy. We know that there's a, a bit of a time difference between where you're located and where we are. And so thank you so much for, for the flexibility, but just your willingness to spend an hour with CK and myself, talk through your work and just let us pick your brain a little bit. The conversation was super fascinating and we really appreciate it, Lucy. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Thank you, Lucy. I've thoroughly enjoyed being being with you. Very good. Good, good. Well, let's uh, let's make sure that we keep in touch. And as you guys are making new discoveries and potentially looking at working on a follow-up to this book, maybe we have you come back on the show and we talk through that as well. It's my fourth book, so I don't know if I, I've got another book in me. I don't know. I don't <laughs> be writing four books in the first place. I feel like with the amount of questions that you ask, Lucy, there's probably many more than, than, than one more book in you. So. Well, that's what a friend said. 
She said, you've got so much material. When's your next book coming out? Exactly, exactly. You got to keep us in the loop, though, because when you do drop that fifth one, we, we want to know about it. So thank you, Lucy. Well, thank you. We thank you so much. Great Very rest good. of your weekend. Bye now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Man. my girl, Lucy Pringle. Such an awesome accent. Yeah. I Just mean, makes everything she's talking about sound so much more serious. Yeah. I love it. Her dedication, though, to the space and just Man. to the field and, like, no pun intended, didn't even mean for that one to happen. Hey-o. But it did it. Uh, man, that's twice that we've teed you up for a hand It hasn't happened. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody got got to me. Yeah. yeah that recent feedback. Just yeah, been, I almost just hand-warned, and then I was like, oh, I don't think I can. F-f-f-field! You guys thought we were going to do it. I wasn't going to be stupid. But anyways, like legitimately her, her commitment to the, just like understanding of what's actually happening behind this phenomenon is huge. I I think that survey, that questionnaire that she broke us off on that survey. Whoa. Yeah. That was the most comprehensive thing. I kept expecting it to be done. And then it was like, nope, there's another thing. No, she's like, we're here for the science guys. We're not just doing a cursory uh, view of this stuff. Yeah. It was so deep. And the temporary, uh, you know, I didn't hear her necessarily saying cure, but the temporary alleviation of uh, Parkinson's disease, you know, just like thinking about having those symptoms, you know, over the course of every single day. And then, you know, you having 48 hours of no shaking is that's pretty intense. And in my mind, all it is, is it it takes me back. Man, I, I I always point back to this is like that Sonia Grace episode where it's like, just because we don't know about the thing, just because we don't know it's possible or it exists. doesn't mean that it's not a thing that we just don't understand. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. And I think, you know, it's also one of those uh, interesting topical areas in general that I think like a lot of people grew up, you know, watching Unsolved Mysteries and some of these other shows where, you know, there's this heavy emphasis on like the either one side of it that these are absolutely done by aliens or this is done by some sort of, you know, secret uh, force. And then there's this huge debunking effort that I feel like happened Mm -hmm. over the course of our childhood, especially um, where I think like a lot of babies got thrown out with the bathwater. And bottom line is I didn't hear her necessarily say she knows where they're from. I didn't hear her say she knows exactly what's going on. All I really felt from her over the course of this conversation was there are some interesting energy phenomena that are happening in these locations. Maybe not all of them, Mm -hmm. but in specific ones, there are some pretty interesting noteworthy things going on and they're worthy of uh, future research and, and, you know, future discussion. Yeah. I mean, at least worth jumping down the rabbit hole, poking the bear, I was going to try to work as many drinking games. Oh, man. Just got like, yeah, right. Uh, sorry about tomorrow. Bro. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's another uh, young human, another female, no British accent, but also what, brilliant. What does she know about this? She knows a couple things about crop circles, man. You want to check that out? I do. Here we go. Hey there, welcome to this week's installment of Ask a Sixth Grader. One more week talking about all (laughs) things extraterrestrial with the very lovely Eden. Kid, what's up? How are you? Good. Good. So today we had a conversation with this researcher named Lucy Pringle. And Lucy... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like the chips, right? Um, (laughs) No, but Lucy broke us off on all things crop circles, okay? Oh, that that was... That hurt your brain? It it definitely did. (laughs) 
I mean, she has spent so many years researching crop circles from all over the world. She's seen so many different like shapes and patterns and energies and all these things when she's researching them. And mm -hmm. so I thought it'd be cool for everybody out there, since I know you love researching this stuff. What's your take on crop circles, kid? What do you think we're looking at here? I think they're really cool, but I really think some of them are staged because there's a lot of them out there. And it's just like, I feel like people do weird things to get attention, famous. Sure. And I feel like some farmer out there has done that and been like, hey, call the police and be like, hey, I woke up and there's a crop circle, like when literally they did it. Mm -hmm. So they're like, whoa, Jeff, it looks like your, your face, though. Why, why would it look like your face? And he's like, oh, I guess I'm just my face is on the news now. I guess it's fine. <sighs> so have you ever watched like some of the footage where people are debunking certain crop circles and then there's, they're also like looking at crop circles that they think are real and they can tell the difference at the bottom of the crop, right? So like, let's say it's corn. Mm -hmm. At the bottom of the corn stalk, if it's, if it's fake, like if it's man-made, that is broken. You can see where it's broken from the person's weight stepping on it. But the ones that they're saying cannot be debunked they're not broken. They're just like bent. Like it's like a perfect like little curve at the bottom of the at the stalk of the corn. Have you seen that before? No. That hurts the brain a little bit. Like I don't even know what to do with that information. Let's just throw it in the trash can right now. <laughs> just get just punt. Get it out of here. Yeah. So let me ask you this question. If aliens are coming to Earth, okay, and they're coming from very, very, very far away, that means they have some pretty incredible technology to build spaceships that can, you know, travel long distances through deep space, do all the things. They must have crazy technology, very advanced, right? Mm -hmm. So why are they sending us super, super primitive messages in our corn? Have you ever thought about that? Like, why wouldn't they, they come up with a more high-tech way? They might be sending us a warning that they're going to come and raid us. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I've seen a few movies like that, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with my theory. They might be like sending us a message like, hey, we're coming to Earth soon, so why don't you go clean your house and prepare for us? Right. T tidy up a little bit. Yeah. I read one theory that a lot of people think that they're potentially maps. Right. So then when other ships are flying overhead or coming by or whatever, they kind of have a sense of reference and they can see, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Carl was over here. I'm on the right track now. Right. Carl's over. Carl, the alien. I mean, it's a typical alien name, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think of something like that? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen a picture of a crop circle that you thought was amazing and that there was it was so detailed that there was no way a human being could have created it? I don't know. You don't know? Isn't that what come to mind? No, I've never really thought of that. I just look at them and be like, wow. <laughs> they should have seen my eyes just then. That's <laughs> yeah, pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, I think what you should do is what you always do, right? Like continue to question everything, do your research. And as you're finding things that maybe don't quite add up, don't quite fit, we talk about it on another episode down the road. Does that sound good? Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show this week, Eden. Yep. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. That's what happens when you uh, ask Eden to just hit you with some background information on some background. Science. Yeah. She has spent so much time, though, just watching so many documentaries. And, and I mean, she, she mm -hmm. has been fascinated by those things from day one. Weird. Yeah. That's so strange. Yeah, you think she's like she grew up in a house where... It's really odd thinking about how that happened. Yeah.
don't know. Another mystery for another episode, I, I suppose. We are going to once again, uh, you know, tip the proverbial hat to our supporters and friends out there who continue to support the show by subscribing, leaving us written five-star reviews, uh, hollering at us on social media, making sure that you guys are backing us on Patreon, going to the website, checking out the articles, scooping up some merch, doing all the things. If you are a fan of the show and you have not done one of those things, do it, do it. Just pick like one thing off that list and just like swing at it. It's fine. Just give us a holler. Yeah. You know, you know, more than anything, we really appreciate the love. Um, and like we've said before, you know, a few bucks isn't going to make the make or break the difference, um, you know, individually, but as a crew, it definitely stacks up mm-hmm. and it definitely, uh, more so than anything shows us that what we're doing matters to people, um, and that it allows us to invest in it, not just the immense amount of time that we're investing in it, but just invest in better gear, better stuff, mm-hmm. better opportunities to go to things like CPAC and other, uh, conferences where we're going to be, you know, hopefully giving you things that aren't available anywhere else. Exactly. It's that exclusive content that eventually becomes ad free, right? That's really what we're after guys. So if you feel compelled, if you like what we're doing, hit us up there. So next week, dude, you ready for this? I am. All right. Let me break you off on what's happening next week. So next week, we're going to be connecting with Jim Egan. Jim is the curator of the Newport Tower Museum. God, this site is just enigmatic as hell. I am so stoked for this conversation. I know several members of our audience are familiar with the site and the structure. um, And there's a lot of theories out there in the wild as to who built it, when, and and for what purpose, right? So uh, we're going to be digging into that for sure. Um, But I mean, Jim has dedicated so much of his life to researching this site, Uh, boots on the ground, analyzing it, doing all the things. And that ultimately led him to become the curator of the Newport Tower Museum. So he's very, very, very active at the site. Um, And so next week, we're going to be ripping through, you know, all of his work surrounding the site. We're going to be talking about William Penhollow. We're going to be talking about John Dee, their involvement uh, and importance throughout the chronology and history of this structure. Um, We're also going to be looking at Jim's skill sets as a professional photographer and talking through how those lent themselves to him doing a deep dive analysis of the photographic evidence that he has found at the site. And then furthermore, we're going to be discussing uh, the archaeoastronomical implications of the site and looking at some of the connections there. So it's going to be an incredible conversation. I mean, Jim is a, a TED Talks alum. He's given a talk about the site specifically. He's also been featured on America Unearthed with our homie Scott Walter. It's going to be rad. So make sure that you guys tune in next week for our conversation with Jim Egan. Until next time, I'm Andrew. I'm CK. And we challenge you to question everything. Everything.